Amen. You can grab a seat as you are doing that. I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to go ahead and pull that out and uh, open up to the book of Daniel. Um, If you do not have a Bible, we've got one that you can use underneath one of the seats in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, you are welcome to take that home. Um, That is the ESV translation. That's what we uh, preach out of here. And so um, that would be our gift to you. And uh, you can open up to Daniel and uh, find chapter two. Um, If you need to use that table of contents to find it, that is quite all right. Um, But if you uh, make your way to Daniel uh, chapter two, Um, The title of the sermon is uh, The Eternal Kingdom. I'm going to meet you there in just a second, but I wanted to um, just kind of set up a little bit um, of what we're seeing in this series. We just started last week. Um, We're going to be walking through the book of Daniel together, and we're calling it uh, Shining in the Darkness. And what we are going to see is this is a unique book in that uh, most of the books of the Bible, the uh, place that it occurs is in Israel. Um, in the in the land of Israel, in the nation of Israel, um, Daniel does not. Um, it uh, it takes place outside of uh, the nation of Israel. And uh, here's a map for you. Um, we uh, looked at last week, but um, Israel uh, had been living in opposition. Israel and Judah, um, the nation had divided, uh, was living in opposition to uh, God and the commands, the decrees, the um, uh, the things that He had commanded. And He had been warning for generations, uh, for decades, that if they did not uh, turn return to the Lord and begin to follow him again, that destruction was coming, that there was going to be discipline for the nation. And he used uh, the nation of uh, Babylonia, the Babylon Empire, um, to uh, be his uh, method or way of uh, discipline for the people. And so you see, uh, we we met Daniel and his friends last week, but they lived in the land of Judah or the area of Judah um, in Jerusalem and were taken to uh, Babylonia. And they, um, uh, Babylon and where that is is present day Iraq, uh, but it's a long ways from, from there. And uh, Babylon is often used throughout scripture as a place, not just as a real place in a real time, but it's used as a picture of a culture that lives in opposition um, to the ways and the uh, decrees of God. And so um, in many ways, what we're going to see is some parallels with the current culture that we live in, because I think it's safe to say that the current culture uh, that is not just present in our own country or in our city, but, but in our world right now is one that um, is uh, in many ways against the ways and the kingdom of God. And so Daniel serves as a great example of what does it look like to shine in the darkness? What does it look like to live outside of uh, where we would consider home? And, and, and at times we feel out of place uh, where we're at. And I think just a helpful reminder to us this morning is that um, God gave us this uh, so that we would see and understand some things about what it is to live in Babylon or in an empire, in a culture um, that is against his. And uh, I think there can be some misconceptions in that. I wanna put a verse up on the screen. Many of you um, have probably heard it or, or maybe have even memorized it, but it's, it's one that's often quoted. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I know many of you have heard that. And again, you've memorized that. That's a great promise that we cling to and that we hold on to. Um, but my, my fear is that many of us don't know exactly the context in which that verse was said. You see, one thing you have to understand when we were kind of showing that map and have that, that um, 
that wave of Babylon is, is there was actually a couple of waves of when people were taken to Babylon. So Daniel and his friends, it wasn't just the four of them that were taken. It was about 10,000 of the elites, the, uh, the leaders, uh, the educated, uh, the advanced like kind of people in the uh, society were taken away. And so Daniel was taken. And then there was this uh, wave, another wave that came about 10 years later. And in that in-between time, some false prophets sort of arose and they were telling the people, they said, hey, when, when the exile comes, what you need to do is you need to isolate, you need to protect, you need to at all costs don't go, uh, but try and stay here. And if you have to go, then you need to live in complete opposition to the culture and, and kind of in this um, sort of totally separate way. And these prophets were, were kind of sharing this message. Well, Jeremiah was a prophet of the Lord and he spoke for the Lord and he clarified what God actually wanted the people to do. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 29, it's actually a letter that was written to those who were in exile in Babylon. And so this verse that we often quote and know was written, it was part of a letter that was written to those who were in exile. And I think it's helpful for us this morning. Let's just back up a little bit. Let me put on the screen Jeremiah 29, uh, beginning in verse four. It says this, thus says the Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is the instruction from the Lord. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You see, what a timely message on this day that we're launching this Safe Families Partnership you see, the instruction for God's people was to not go and not to isolate and not to just kind of put life on pause. But what does it say? It says, don't live in tents, build houses. Don't just kind of get by, plant gardens. There's some time that's expected, right? Because you have to prepare the soil, then you have to plant, then you have to you know, continue to care for it, and then you reap the harvest. Like the expectation is you're gonna be there for a while. In fact, Jeremiah says, you're gonna be there for 70 years. And so while you're there, Continue to marry, continue to uh, multiply and to build families. And when you're there, pray for and seek after the welfare of the city that you are in because in its welfare, there you will find your welfare. It really frames up for us differently. We understand Jeremiah 29 a little bit differently once we understand that context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. You see, this is an encouragement to us and many of you um, shared that it was even last week and I pray it will continue to be as we walk through it. But Daniel serves as a good reminder for us of what is it like to live in Babylon, but to live in a way that God has called us to. Because I think for many, many years, for maybe since the beginning, Christians have struggled with how do I exist or how do I live in the culture that I currently live? When the culture around me is not heading toward the Lord, how do I live in that? And I think there's been two kind of opposite responses that, that, that the church has often had. One is, and perhaps this is where your heart is at, that you want to isolate, right? Like kind of set up this protective force field and bubble. And like, if we can just kind of do our thing and just kind of make it through and put our head down and just, you know, live in our little kind of, you know, cul-de-sac and, and just exist there and that, that we can kind of re walk through unscathed or unaffected by the culture around us. That's one response that, that some of the church have had. 
right? And then the other response is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where uh, it's like, well, we're here, so I'm just gonna live as one here. And, and the church can sometimes begin to become and even fully moves into a place that is indistinguishable from the culture around it, right? That it takes on the values and the principles and the way of life that, that, that the world would espouse, whether scripture says it or not, it doesn't really matter. It's what our culture says. So that's kind of what is in with the times, right? And so we see these two opposite reproaches. What Daniel is gonna serve for us is to cut through the middle of that. And it's gonna say, no, no, there's a third approach. And that is you can live in the city, you can live in the culture and you can be an agent for transformation within it. You can live out the truth of what you believe in Jesus Christ and the work that he's doing in you. And you can actually affect those around you. You can point them to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And that church is how we are called to live. That's a, the example that we're going to see in the life of David. But more than just seeing it in the life of David, we're going to see that this is who our God is. Our God shines into the darkness. Our God is the light in that darkness. And so when he says, seek after the welfare of the city, he is about the welfare of the city. He cares for the vulnerable. He cares for those who are uh, in crisis. He cares for those who are alone and he desires to see his people, his church today, step into that and live out kingdom values and kingdom principles in and a part of their life. And so that's where we're going this morning. We're gonna see this continue um, as the story continues. So let's get into the story. Um, we got a lot of verses to cover. I'll tell you up front, I'm not gonna read all of them. We're gonna read a bunch of them, but not all of them. There's way too many. And so let's uh, go in Daniel chapter two, beginning in verse one, it says this. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, which from here on out, I'll just call him Neb. I don't have enough time to pronounce that name every single time, okay? So Neb had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king and the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, uh, which just a little side note, from this point forward um, in the narrative, and then in the last few chapters, it jumps back, but it's in Aramaic. So we can't see that in our English. It's all translated, right? But this is, begins this Aramaic section. So the first chapter is Hebrew, last couple chapters Hebrew, but this is now Aramaic. And the idea is that this is what's happening there in Babylon, right? They said to him in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word is from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, therefore show me the dream and its interpretation Here's what's going on uh, in this is, um, you know, in the day uh, in Babylon, it was uh, kind of common practice and understanding that the gods uh, that they worshiped spoke to them, led them through dreams. And so there was visions, dreams, and they meant something. Um, I don't know how many of you, I would love to just, you know, if we had more time, we could all go around and share the dreams that maybe you had this week. Um, you know, I kind of go in spurts. I'll kind of have some dreams and then I don't have some dreams for a while. Um, but most of the time when I dream and I wake up, I'm like, that was weird. 
right? Like, what did I eat or what happened, you know, or like what, what, what like movie was I watching or something like that, that kind of came, came back. But, you know, we don't really take a whole lot of stock in dreams. So maybe we read this and we're like, what's the big deal? He just had some dreams. Well, what was going on was it was this recurring dream. It was this recurring vision. He was having the same dream over and over and over again. And it was a very distinct dream and it was a very distinct picture. And so his understanding was, is like, gods are trying to tell me something, And so I need to understand, like, I know what the dream is, but I need to understand what does it mean? And so he gathered his wise men, right? It says, it calls them here, um, the enchanters, magicians, sorcerers, Chaldeans. um, Some other translations call them astrologers. Basically, these are the guys that kind of mixes the science and spirituality and kind of mysticism and, and tries to kind of combine all of that to kind of make sense of the world. And so he calls in these wise men. He says, listen, I want you to tell me what my dream means. And, and these were smart guys. Like, so before we kind of like dismiss them as like, these are all just kind of hocus pocus, you know, snake water sort of, um, you know, things. These were actually smart guys. I found out when I was studying that, that they studied the movement of the sun, the moon and the stars. And through that, they calculated the length of a year. And their estimation was 356 days, um, or sorry, 365 days, six hours, 15 minutes and 41 seconds. That is off only by 26 minutes and 55 seconds. So they were like pretty close. You think about the technology they're working with and what they're doing to like get that. So these are smart guys, but, but Neb wants them to come in and say, hey, can you tell me um, not just what my dream means, but first you need to tell me what the dream is. And, and here's, here's what's going on there. It was a smart guy because they had developed these manuals. And so there's kind of this guide. So if you dream about a goat and like the goat's eating cheese and the cheese is like, you know, blue and there's like all these things, then you can, you can kind of, you know, assemble like this is what this dream means. And it was written in such a way, kind of like Chinese fortune cookie, you know, sort of, um, you know, if you've ever uh, had some American Chinese food and you get that like disgusting fortune cookie and you like read that thing and it's like could apply to anybody, right? And you're like, you will, whatever. So that's kind of the idea. And he's like, I don't want that. Like, I want to know what the dream is and I want to know what it means. So that was his way of validating it. He's like, if you can tell, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. If you can tell me what the dream is, then tell me its meaning. Then I'll know that the meaning is legit. And he really wants this because he is worried about this. And so he threatens them. He says, if you don't make it known, you're going to be torn limb from limb. Your house shall be laid to ruins. Lest we think of this as some empty threat, Neb was not a nice guy. Um, King Zedekiah uh, from Israel was, um, he actually killed his sons in front of him, then poked out his eyes so it was the last thing that he saw. Then he brought him back shackled to Babylon where he lived out his days. There was two Jewish rebels. He threw them alive into a fire. You know, another king in the day, um, King Darius, who we're gonna meet later, he killed all of his magi uh, because they didn't produce or do respond in the way that he wanted. So this is like a real threat. They're gonna be pulled apart. Their house is gonna be made into a trash heap. But if they do it, he's like, I've got gifts and I've got you know, rewards for you. So tell me the dream and tell me its interpretation. Well, this goes back and forth a few times. They're like, we can't do that. Like, if you tell us a dream, then we'll tell you what it means. And he's like, I'm not gonna do that. I don't know if it's legit, you know? So it kind of goes back and forth till it gets to the place in verse 10 where they admit and they acknowledge this. Look what it says. He says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great or powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So here they get to the point and they're like, listen, 
I understand what you're trying to ask, but it's not possible. Like, humans cannot do that. We have no way of knowing what's going on inside of your mind, what this vision was. That's only something that, in their estimation, the gods could say. They said, that's not known by flesh. And the king responds, he loses it at this point, verse 12, because the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, Daniel had just graduated from the uh, kind of training, you know, rewiring uh, education phase. Um, it says that they were trained for three years. Uh, the timestamp that we had at the beginning of the chapter, it says in the second reign. So the first reign or the first year of a king is the ascension year. The second year is actually the first year of the reign. And the third year that a king is in power is the second year of the reign. I know it's a little confusing, but so it's been three years since Daniel. So they've just newly graduated. So they're the, they're the freshmen, they're the like rookies on the team, but they're included in this. They were, Daniel and his companions were also going to be killed along with all the rest of the wise men. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So here's where we uh, find, um, you know, find Daniel here, is he makes this, he makes this promise that, uh, that he would find uh, the interpretation and that he would show it to the king. It's a bold move, Right? He's trying to uh, act not only on his behalf, but all the wise men. He's, he's standing up for them and saying, listen, I can tell the king his dream and the interpretation. And what's he doing at this moment? Well, we're gonna see in a minute, he's trusting that God's going to give it to him. He doesn't know, but he's trusting that God will give it. And that's exactly what he does. Verse 17, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, gathered his friends, his companions, right? And told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Listen, my hope is that we walk away with two simple understandings this morning, um, two simple points that I have for us. And the first is this, I'd encourage you to write it down if you're taking notes, but this is that God is the source of wisdom. And what we see here in the life of Daniel and his friends is that we are to seek him for that wisdom. See, maybe we can relate you know, in this, in this sense, we're in a place where we don't know what to do. We don't know what the right answer is. Daniel didn't, but he knew what was happening. Certainly wasn't, you know, in his best interest. And he knew the God who did. And so he makes this bold claim that I can tell the interpretation, trusting that God would give him what he needed. And let's be honest, right? Even if he can't, he's in no worse shape. So it was like in his best interest to say that but he's trusting and he's believing in that. And so what does he do? He goes, gathers his friends, prays, and asks that God would give him the answer to this mystery. We're gonna see exactly that just that happens. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven, the true God, right? It's not known by flesh, but it is known by God, the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belongs all wisdom and might. You see it there? God is the source of wisdom. And Daniel recognizes that. 
and he praises him for it. He goes on, he says he changes times and seasons and removes kings and sets up kings and he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and now you have made known to me what we asked of you and you have made known to us the king's matter. Listen, church, here's what I hope we understand this morning. And again, it's such a simple point, but so, so important for us, is how many times do we encounter situations that we do not know what to do next? Some of you, even this week, you had something come up and you're like, man, I don't know what the, like, I don't know what the right move is. Um, my daughter, we were driving the other day, she asked me a question. She's like, hey, dad, this is kind of going down at school. Uh, what should I do? And I would love to say, like, at that moment, I knew exactly what to do, and I had the right answer, and, like, I was able... I'm like, you know what? That's a really good question. I'm glad you're asking it, because I'm, if I'm honest, I don't know what I would do in that situation either. Let me think about that and pray about that a little bit. I didn't know. I didn't know how to answer. And sometimes you, you're in that spot. I'm in that spot. Like, we're, we encounter things, and we're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the right move is. I don't know what's wise in this place. And I think our tendency, if we're not careful, is that we would then, in that spot, just try and kind of muscle through it. Like, well, I'll just kind of throw, throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Right? I'll just try this. And I think sometimes we try in our own understanding or our own thinking, right? We make a list of pros and cons. We, we maybe call a friend or, um, you know, we uh, try and read a book or, you know, seek, seek, find a mentor or something. You know, we, we, we go through all these steps and none of those things are bad, but we skip or, or maybe forget all, all along about the most important step that there is. You see, Daniel knew the source of wisdom. He says, you are the source of wisdom and might. And so he went to the source. He sought the Lord on this. And he says, listen, the only way, the only way this is going to happen is if it comes from you. And so, so many times, I don't think it's necessarily that we forget that this is an option for us, but we think that wisdom is achieved in other places, right? That we can find it on our own, that we can arrive there with some good, you know, thinking and just kind of logical thought that we can get there. See, Daniel was in the place that oftentimes we are, whether we recognize it or not, he knew that the wisdom, the only place that that wisdom was going to come from was from the Lord. Like, how could he possibly know the interpretation of the dream? He couldn't. And so he went to the only place that he could go. He got that there. So my hope for us is this, is that we would see things the same way, that we would recognize that there are times that we don't have the wisdom that we need, but we know the God who does. And so instead of freaking out, we can pray out and ask that the Lord would give us the wisdom, show us what it is that we would have. Maybe for you this morning, that's just such a simple reminder, but exactly what you need right now. There's confusion, there's uncertainty, and you need to seek the God of wisdom for your next step, for what he would call you to do in this place. He gives Daniel the wisdom that he needed. Well, then he goes to the king. Verse 24, Daniel went into Ariok, who the king has appointed to destroy the wise men. And he went to him and said, do not destroy the wise men. Bring me before the king and I will show the king its interpretation. And so we went before the king and skipping down to verse 26, the king asked him, Neb, said, are you able to make it known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? He's like, you got the message, right? I don't just want the interpretation. I need the dream. Like he keeps repeating that. And Daniel's like, I got this. Look what he says. He says, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But 
There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. See, this is, and one thing, just like one of the side kind of lenses that you need to view the book of Daniel, like throughout. It started last week, it's gonna continue through the rest. You need to see through, like the lens that you need to look at this book is it is a set of cosmic um, uh, contests between big G, God of the heavens, God of creator God, God of scripture, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and little g, these foreign gods of the sun, moon, stars, the, the gods that this nation was, was worshiping. Right? There are these cosmic battles, and what we see time and time again is the God of heaven is greater than these other gods. So all the wise men, all the magicians, and all of their tricks and things, the gods are revealing nothing to them. But the God of heaven, he knows he knows what this is. He knows what this is all about and he's able to do it. And Daniel gives credit to where credit is due. And he says, listen, this is, God is the source of wisdom. I don't know this on my own. I know this because God of heaven revealed it to me. He wants to be very sure that God knows what it is. Well, we get to see what the dream is next. You wanna know what the dream is? Let me summarize it for you. It's, a, it's an image of a statue, like a, um, a big statue. And in this statue, um, in this image, there is uh, several different metals that this uh, statue is composed of. So the head is uh, gold, fine gold. The arms and chest are silver. Um, the waist is uh, bronze. And then the legs are iron. And uh, then as it gets to the feet, it kind of is this iron mixed with clay. And he sees the statue. It's standing there. But then um, it says that there was a stone that looked like it had not been formed by hands like it was a supernatural uh, stone that came down and rolled down and it struck the statue, broke it into pieces. It says it became like chaff of the summer of the threshing floors and the wind carried away so there was no trace. But the stone struck the image and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the picture, this is the dream. So statue, big stone comes down, smashes it, stone becomes a mountain. Daniel's like, let me tell you what that means, king. He says that the, the, the gold, the head of the statue represents your great power. The emperor of Babylon, Babylonia is powerful. It's the most powerful uh, entity that was on the planet at the time. He's like, there is no one like your, your, your nation and you are reigning here in power. But, but soon there's gonna be an inferior empire that's going to rise up and it's going to overthrow your empire. And we know, and we're gonna see it actually in the book of Daniel, that's the Persian empire is what's kind of assumed there, right? That's what comes next. And so the silver is inferior to the gold, but, the, but that's the next empire. 
And then the idea is that there's gonna continue to be these inferior empires that are gonna overthrow. Like, like the empires are gonna continue to change hands and, and, and this world power is gonna continue to turn over. And so again, I'm not getting so bogged down in what it is because it doesn't actually tell us, but the assumption is, is that um, the next empire is that Medo-Persia empire. Then the uh, bronze is the uh, Greece, Grecian empire. Um, they actually used a lot of bronze in, in their uh, weapons and in their um, construction and everything. And so, and then that was followed by the Roman empire. Um, and uh, there's all sorts of like, you know, you can kind of draw out a lot of symbolism from it. It was like the longest part of the statue. The Roman empire was the longest empire. And toward the end, it got kind of splintered and kind of broken up. So hence the iron sort of mixed with the clay. That's kind of the understanding, but, but that's not the point. It doesn't tell us what the empires are, just that there's empires coming that are going to overthrow. There's going to continue to be this turn of power. But then what happens is the stone not formed by hands, comes down, smashes it, destroys all of it, and then a massive mountain arises out of it. The idea is, is that there is an eternal kingdom that is coming that is gonna be greater than any other kingdom. So king, yes, your empire reigns, but there is a kingdom coming far, far greater than yours. And the understanding is that's the kingdom of God, right? That's God establishing his kingdom and his, his days. Because in those days, the king of God will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. I'm in verse 44. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw, a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand that it broke into pieces of the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Well, Daniel is honored for answering the king. He is given a position of prominence. He's over all the wise men. He was ruler over the province in Babylon. He even requested that his um, companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are placed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But then Daniel stayed there in the king's court. And here is the second point that we see. It's right here. It's that God is the source of might. So in that, we trust him. We trust him. You see, I think, again, it's easy to be discouraged as we look around and we see the culture kind of turning over or we see, you know, cracks in our, our current culture. We see the darkness around us and we say, you know, man, where, where, where is this coming from? Like, who, who, who's in charge here, right? Who's on the throne? God, where are you? And the reminder of this passage is this, is that God is the God of might. Go back to the prayer that Daniel prayed, verse 21. He says, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wide and knowledge to those who have understanding. You see, God is over every kingdom that has ever existed and ever will exist. And someday, someday he's going to fully establish his kingdom in fact, he's already begun that work. This is what we call kind of an already but not yet thing. You see, Jesus, when he, was, when he walked the earth, he was referred to as the cornerstone which was rejected, right? You know that he was born of a virgin. The understanding not being formed by human hands, right? He's not of flesh in the same way that you or I are, but he was conceived by the Spirit. And Jesus in John 18, 36 says, my kingdom is not of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the, this world. You see, church, as we see this passage, we need to see the stone as a type, as an example for us of 
not just the kingdom of God, but Jesus himself. He was, is that stone which has been established. And he's already placed his kingdom in place. And it hasn't been fully realized yet that that day is coming when he will return in glory and he will fully establish his reign and his rule over all of creation, over all of the universe. And we'll get to see him in his glory. And what he's done is he's invited us into that. And so listen, I know it's so easy to be discouraged, distracted, kind of bogged down by what we see. Like we have devices that give us all the updates, right? On like how the speaker of the house is going, like what's the debt ceiling at? And, and you know, who's on the ballot this time or what bill's up for, you know, debate and all these things. And we kind of watch and we see all the back and forth and all of this. And what I think we need to do is sort of, you know, pull back our focus a little bit and understand this, that there is a king who is on the throne and he's over all of it. All of this will pass away. The only thing that remains is his kingdom and those who are a part of it. And listen, I wanna tell you as clearly and as confidently as I can is that we have all been invited into that kingdom. We have no business being there. We have done nothing to earn it, but God has invited us into his kingdom. By the work of Jesus Christ, he has made a way for us to find forgiveness of sin and to be restored in a relationship with Jesus and a part of his kingdom. Then, when we enter into his kingdom, we are then invited to participate with him in establishing that kingdom. That's what we're doing in the ministries and works of the church, right? We are living out the principles and, and values that God has placed in us. Because of what he's done, we are then giving that to other people. And we're pointing them to the hope and to the light that we've found. And so church, can I just encourage you this morning that as we look around and we try and figure out, you know, who's in control Right? Where does wisdom come from? That we would understand and that we would see clearly that Jesus is on the throne, that God is still God and he is the God of the heavens that is over all things. And we have but to respond and worship him as such and then we get to participate with him in his kingdom and living these things out in the lives that we have. Let's pray. God, we give you praise and worship this morning for who you are. Lord, it's so easy for us to get bogged down and, God, and see our, our little picture of, of the world that we have in front of us, Lord, the, the time that we're living in, the, the situations that are in front of us. And God, those are not unimportant to us, er, to you. Lord, but rather you've given us wisdom and you've given us direction in how to navigate those. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning by your reign, your power over things. God, we're facing situations that we can't control, but, Lord, we look to you, knowing, God, that you are the God that is the source of our might, God, is the source of our wisdom. God, that you are eternal and that your kingdom knows no end. Lord, someday you are gonna return in glory and you are gonna establish your kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth. And God, the things that, that weigh us down, that burden us now will pass away. God, we give you praise for who you are. God, would you bring your kingdom here? Would you establish it here? Would you use us to live out your kingdom even now, in the in-between, God, in the waiting? Would you help us to do that? as a church. 
God, as your people, as a family, God, we look to you and we give you praise for who you are. God, be exalted here in this church. God, be exalted in our lives, we pray. Amen.